Hi, I'm John. And I'm Colin. And I'm Gail the Snail. This is Hold Up. This is the show where we talk about movies from long ago and not so long ago and see if they hold up. Now get the fuck out of here, pervert! Didn't I warn you? That, that, that's that. I'm, I'm looking at your face and I just want to smash it. And I just want to fucking smash it with a sledgehammer and squeeze it. You're so pretty. I want to chew out your face and I want to scoop out your eyes and I want to eat them and chew them and suck on them. Oh, okay. This is funny. This is nice. I want to ask you something because you're a doctor. I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? Barry, I'm a dentist. What kind of help could I give you? Oh, cue, oh, cue, cue the, the theme song. Shut up! Shut the fuck! You're all right to take shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Now! Are you threatening me, Dick? Aren't you? You go fuck yourself! Oi! Go fuck myself. Yes, I did. That wasn't good. You're dead. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I would say that's that mattress, man. Now get the fuck out of here, pervert. Didn't I warn you? That's that. Hi, we're going to jump to 2002 in the third of five movies in our Paul Thomas Anderson month of July. Coming at you. Once again, written and directed, the usually lethal combo on this show, but with P.T. Anderson, it gets kind of mixed results, mostly love. Um, And in this one from 2002, we got Punch Drunk Love. So, uh, you may recall this one because it is a not overly comedic, over-the-top physical comedy role for Adam Sandler, Uh, but he is here in it bringing his best. We also got Emily Watson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Gail the Snail, Louis Guzman, Guzman, um, coming at you in this this relatively small cast, uh, confined to a couple of key characters. We mostly follow Adam Sandler around for this entire movie except for some scattered scenes that include other people. Um, what, do, what do we think about 95-minute runtime for P.T. Anderson? This is his shortest movie still to date. And after the monolith that was Magnolia, uh, this one is far shorter and also far fewer characters. So it's kind of an interesting first foray um, into that for this guy. Do you guys like the length? And what's your what's your all history with Punch Drunk Love? Because this is one I uh, I still wouldn't have seen immediately when it came out, even though I would have seen Boogie Nights. Um, at that time, I wouldn't have seen Magnolia as the immediate follow-up, so I wouldn't have been giving P.T. Anderson much regard. I kind of caught him up to his stuff in total a bit later. Like once There Will Be Blood started to pop, I was like, holy cow, this guy's got quite the amazing filmography. Um, so I didn't see this one till probably a couple of years later. I believe it was Colin that showed it to me and it struck me when I initially saw it as kind of like a chuckly, chuckly love story, quirky, 
Um, but I don't recall that it like stood out in my head as being unbelievable. The one thing that stood out in my head, and maybe you guys have the same thing, is, is Adam Sandler's performance. So what's your background? Uh, yeah, in history? I think I was at this point. I think at this point I was kind of sick of Adam Sandler's shtick, and so I, and I loved PT so much that the fact that he'd made a movie with him, I was pretty excited about it. So I I liked this at the time because it was somebody kind of. It was one of the first times I ever saw someone rein um, Adam Sandler in, and uh, it's more of a dramatic performance at times than a comedic performance for him um even though it's in a comedy one of my favorite quotes about this movie is it's a romantic comedy on the verge of a nervous breakdown that is what it feels like a lot of the time in this movie uh so it's very unique in its tone uh the music plays into that nervous breakdown um I I've I've always liked this movie, but this time I I did get a sense of anxiety um, throughout most of the movie, um, and so if that was his intention, uh, it, it it was very effective on me this time. Not sure uh, how much I enjoyed that. I just I mean I was I guess you know what the I was happy at that it had a happier ending. Um, but yeah, it was a very different watch for me this time. How about you, Brent? I had never seen this movie until just like a couple of years ago. It was one of those movies where Colin found out I hadn't seen it and was like, what? You need to watch this. So <laughs> I barely have any history with this. This is the second time I watched it. Um, I love that it's so short, especially after coming through. We've been through a number of long hauls here. Um, fairly recently anyways with the movies we've been doing and this one coming in at that 90 minutes I think PTA was smart for for deciding to do a shorter one after Magnolia like you got Boogie Nights you got Magnolia those are all both pretty long powerhouse movies I think it's a great decision to just kind of like do a quick little a quick little bopper like this um, you know and then uh, yeah I mean I, I liked it enough on the first watch I, I'll uh, continue to share my opinion of this through the episode but watching it this nice. time was a little bit weird oh interesting interesting i um it, it's so funny how you treat a movie when you're watching it for just enjoyment you had a couple of drinks or you're settling down with the family to watch something with some popcorn versus like coming in knowing you're going to do a podcast about the movie and you better have some interesting things and observations to say to, to qualify your opinion um and i i mean first off I agree with Colin's comment 100% about the, the tension and anxiety that this movie made me feel. It was so palpable thanks to the, the way it was directed and the music used in certain scenes. Um, and then you just cap it all off with, with Adam Sandler's very different performance. Um, and you can see why later movies in Sandler's career, like Uncut Gems and um, what is the newest one? Hustle? Yeah. Um, where he, he's not playing his comedic over-the-top character. Um and you kind of go like, damn, like maybe it's just because he's so different than what he plays in those other movies, but he seems to have some chops for this. This one especially because you wonder as the movie gets going, does he like is does he have a mental illness or, or is he like extremely phobic or whatever? Uh, but the, the movie does a pretty good job as we get in there um, before too long, uh, giving us a little bit of glimpse into how he became this way um, with his overbearing seven sisters. 
um, not the least of which is is Gail the Snail of um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame, um, which is which is pretty funny. I'm not sure I gave her an actual introduction. Mary Lynn Ratscub. Um, yeah, so I, I really I really kind of enjoyed uh, Sandler's performance in this, and it's funny because while there might be some um, uh, I don't know something unique about this movie in that you get Adam Sandler in this, it did not do well critically. I think it had a fairly limited release and it ba- barely made its money back, um, if it even did. It probably did a lot better on DVD sales and everything else because DVDs were getting huge around this point. And once PT's future movies kind of popped and you get like um, Daniel Day-Lewis and more Philip Seymour Hoffman as people started to regard him less as a secondary character and more as like this fucking amazing actor, um, I think this movie did well in the future as, or um, did well as his other movies did well. Mm. This movie actually won Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival for Paul Thomas Anderson. It didn't win anything else, interesting. but it won Best Director, which That's is uh, um, a, like a lot of crazy movies um, are shown at the Cannes Film Festival. So the fact that he won one of the major awards for this little comedy that he made is is pretty uh, is pretty. It's that's a standout. Uh, they must have saw something in it that the fact that they gave this to him because that's this is that's a film festival that like like a pulp fiction one like you know the the grand prize our um old boy won the grand prize so <laughs> this this is uh yeah it's really funny that uh this uh it's, kind it's, of kind of captured uh people's attention well it really funny that it's for directing for this movie because this is nowhere near as flashy as as Boogie Nights, certainly, and very competently directed Magnolia following up. I'm really interested to pay attention to his style for There Will Be Blood, because that movie, I recall, being very gorgeous. And his, his ability to, to work with his team to create real feeling environments uh, inside and out is, is something I have always really admired about him. Um, the funny, hilarious thing about this movie, in fact, uh, I think I was laughing for like the first 10 minutes of this movie because everything takes place in just like awful, ugly neighborhood in a fucking warehouse with lots of weird uh, uh, plunger, whatever he calls his things. What are they, splungers or something? Um, just, are they just toilet toilet plungers? Yeah, but he yeah, gave them like a special name. Plungers. They have the yeah. dice on them and shit. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. Is, he do is he he sells all these weird novelty items to like hotels and stuff like that. Like what's what's or whoever deal? will buy them. Yeah, he'd want to sell these in bulk for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. It's, yeah, so <laughs> that that's kind of funny. But yeah, but it's just so ugly. Like it shows the street in L.A. where he is and like it pans up and down the street. There's one point where he's standing outside the gate, which is the entranceway to their back alley industrial area. And as the camera pans around, it's just, it's dark and it's ugly. And I, and I was like, what the hell? But I know it's on purpose if it's this guy directing it, right? Yeah. Um, so it actually, I, I, I had to like stop and consider not what was beautiful, but what he intentionally was trying to do to us. And I think this leads back into the, the whole uh, anxiety thing that he's trying to create around Barry's character so that you're feeling it with him, the, the amount of pressure and, and anxiety that he feels on a day-to-day basis. 
um, which is an interesting approach. It makes you feel something different. It means that this movie's not out just to please you. It's out to make you feel something different and, and get you in tune so that when you do get along to the end of the movie, I think you're actually happier that there's a happy ending. Um, and it's, it's earned for sure um, by that point because the characters have struggled big times, but they've also accomplished big things. So that all feels like really kind of neat to me. I know that, like, having listened to interviews from him and stuff on, on many of his films, like, he, he was from Los Angeles and uh, a certain part of Los Angeles that he always felt was, like, there's nothing very special about. And, like, it was hard, like, you know, like, with Scorsese, it was all New York and mean streets and stuff like that, or a taxi driver. And he just kind of felt like where he was from wasn't that interesting. Um, but yet, um, Boogie Nights takes place there. Magnolia takes place there. And I think he's showing a different part of Los Angeles in this movie. Yeah. Um, not a very glamorous, ritzy part of Los Angeles. It's very <laughs> industrial, parky feeling Los Angeles. But there's still palm trees and stuff there, which is funny. But it, it's just like this shitty kind of area of the of the of California. It's it's actually. Uh it's a one zero one zero one Canoga Avenue, Chatsworth, California. There Chatsworth. You <laughs> I wonder the if they spruced it up any. <laughs> so I, uh, I know as Sandler comes his... out of his, he comes out of the alleyway and he's standing at the entrance to the alleyway, which has these sliding doors that are open. And the shot just before the car accident happens at the start, which is out of nowhere. And the shot frames him wonderfully mm. between the two doors. And I'm like, it's such a beautiful shot in a, such a piece of shit neighborhood. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting. I think that, that that whole neighborhood and stuff like that is meant to just kind of uh, mirror the emptiness of Sandler, right? Just like this. Yeah. And how he feels inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's just vacant. And I do. I love that one shot because we were even saying like at the beginning, you, I, I think it was um, you, John. You were like, this is ugly as hell, right? Yeah, and then there's that one scene where you can see um, the light and the dark of that open door, and he's standing there, and then he steps into the light, um, right? And that's the moment where you're like, "Oh, there's there's some fucking PG chops, chops right?" Yeah, and it, it does. It kind of like then that moment kind of takes you into the movie, but the movie is so desolate and so well. There's there's not uh, even music. Until he gets the piano into his office, and then that's harmonium when we hear something for the John. first, uh, the harmonium, thank you, for the first time. So that's also jarring because, like, the, the credits start and all, all the things like that up front of the movie, and there's just no sound, and we're checking the TV to be like, is there something playing? I don't remember that. Yeah. But uh, things start happening, and then you hear some noise, just no music until that moment, which is another interesting way to go to really bring you along with, with Barry because that's the first signs of hope in, in, his, in his life in a while, I'm guessing. Yeah. He actually he actually won two other best director awards for this movie too. One from the Toronto Film Festival, which is like one of the largest film festivals in the world. I think it's second to Cannes. And then he in some other award he he won best director at some other festival I've never heard of. But like so his directing was definitely t people were taking notice of it in this movie. Um I do think it's a well-directed film. It's definitely different. It seems more guerrilla style. There's a lot more handheld, so it's not smooth. Um, there are some longer shots, which you notice and appreciate, I think, but it's not as necessary. And then he's got a couple of other interesting moves that happen, like um, 
at the end of the movie when when Hoffman and his um, phone sex lady are are sitting in the office and they realize Adam Sandler stare, staring at them and it, it kind of shifts the camera and then there's some shelving or something that gets pulled off the screen slowly to reveal that Sandler's standing there in the dim light like that that all takes a lot of skill to do and um, so you, you kind of pick up on it but it doesn't it's just weird the way that it is because it's dirty as effective as it is and maybe that's why he won the award it doesn't seem like a best director type effort even though it, it's probably like a very solid and competently directed piece it just doesn't stand out the directing doesn't stand out at like it does in his other movies in this one not that it's not award worthy or anything because I don't know what it was up against but it just doesn't stand out like Boogie Nights and Magnolia I, I for think sure it, I think no. it's it's I think it stands out in a different way. It's yeah. it's not. It's more like Tarantino's um, uh, Jackie Brown. St- the way it, it's just he he decided to go a different route. Uh, he still has these long shots where the camera runs and follows characters around in the warehouse as they're going in and out of his office and stuff like that. I just don't think it's as noticeable when you're. I don't and I don't know why, why it's not as noticeable because it's all there. The shot with them in silhouette, where they kiss in Hawaii and they have the they make the heart with their bodies, is like a fantastic shot. It's the cover of the poster. Uh, it's there's some great stuff he does in here. Um, it's just it's so different from those other two films. <laughs> Those other yeah. two movies were so similar in a lot of ways. Um, they were both like huge casts um, with multiple characters having multiple arcs. He he really got to just really have one character in this that he focused on. Um, everybody else is really just peripheral in this. They're other than the love interest for Adam Sandler, who she's great too. Um, there's not a lot else going on. His his family and stuff that that none of that stuff gets resolved so i don't know if you talked about it in the intro but he has seven sisters and they're all they're all awful to him yeah Uh, and only one of them is an actual actress in this movie which is uh gail the snail who are the others they're uh, They're actually close relatives of i don't know if they were close relatives of pt or someone but i think they are like relatives of each other potentially yeah but they're not they're not professional actors or actresses no, just professional bitches. Yeah, yeah, you don't see them much in this, but like they are, they are very specifically pick on him. He is the outsider of his family, and and he doesn't stand up for himself. And uh, the problem with it when he does is that rather than him standing up for himself um, in a in a small way, he always waits till it builds up, and then he goes big, and then he comes off as crazy. Yeah. Because and then uh, they retell those stories in his life to anyone who will listen. But it's it's so funny to me because uh, he's not crazy. He just he takes it and takes it and takes it with a grin until he can't take it any longer. His problem is is that he doesn't release it. Um, in you know he doesn't release it until it becomes so large that uh, he can't he can't take it any longer. And then he so <laughs> the first one of the first incidents. <laughs> When you notice that he has some rage issues inside of him, as in he's at the family function that he didn't really want to go to with 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 everybody, and uh, they're making fun of him and talking about him, and and he's saying he doesn't remember, and he's smiling. Oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about, and then he smashes their patio doors with I don't know what. What did he use? 
He, I think he had like an iron it or something. Looks like kind of too. He had something in his hand, but um, and he know, had thrown like, a he did kick hammer it for sure too. And they always tell a story about how he threw a hammer through a patio door yeah. before, so you know that that the reason why he had done that was because of exactly what was happening at this other event. So he, and then it happens again <laughs> in the bathroom when his yeah, when she brings up his sister, saying that he threw that hammer through a patio door yep and he's like i don't know what you're talking about i've got to go to the bathroom <laughs> and i love <laughs> when he comes back and i love how soft-spoken he is when the guy approaches him and he's like yep. can I, I just want to can i just stay i just want to stay <laughs> get the fuck out of here how did you how did you cut your hand with my knife what <laughs> he does have what an answer he does have an answer for all of the questions one of my favorite scenes in the front is when he goes to the family function. Um, and it's a subtle little thing, but I, it stands out to me distinctly is when he walks through the door, you hear them talking about him, how they used to call him, what they used to call him gay or gay boy or something like that. Yeah. 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 But he's at the door and then he closes the door and waits and then announces his presence. So in most movies you'd be like, Ooh, they were talking about him behind his back and, and he heard, Oh, that's so bad. But then as soon as he comes in the kitchen, they walk right up to him like, Hey, remember we used to call you gay boy. Yeah. Yeah. We called you gay boy. And then, Oh my God, he gets so, you see him just start to crumble. It's so effective to do it that way because his sisters are truly ruthless. They don't, it's to the point where they're not even really, they don't think they're being malicious. They think they're being like, you know, just big sisters giving their younger brother shit. But when he gets it from all of them so intensely um, and obviously they don't understand the consequences of their actions and obviously all of their husbands feel the same way about Barry. Um, So you immediately get like within the first like 20 minutes of this movie, how things are against Barry. And like, he does seem like a super soft spoken, like if he gets such little uh, pleasure out of the, out of the harmonia thing, then harmonium thing, uh, you just start feeling for the guy like he's just got an uphill struggle and then his struggles deepen and worsen um i might as well synopsisize the shit out of this barry owns a little company with the plungers like we talked about and um there's a crazy car accident outside his place and he finds a harmonium and he takes it into his office and you think this guy's fucking strange but he's got seven sisters and they all rip on him all the time uh and he's maybe gonna meet someone at his sister's birthday but she doesn't show so barry goes home a little bit lonely um considers buying a bunch of pudding and then calls a phone sex line who tries to um blackmail him and works very hard to do so and then he meets a nice lady and he tries to cultivate a relationship with her well more she tries to cultivate it with him and um we get everything coming to a head the lady in his life his crazy sisters and the um unmentionable people led by philip seymour hoffman who are out for some revenge i think that just about does it i think so. i uh i, I there's a, something that is missing from this movie a little bit and uh i think that um i didn't notice it before but this time i did with um viewing it under the lens that we view it under. And I would have liked a little bit more about um, Emma Watson. Is it Emma Watson? Yep. Emily. Emily, Emily, Emily. Watson's character. <sighs> to make me understand what it is about Barry that, sh- that she is so fascinated by. She says she saw his photo and stuff and she wanted to meet him. But, <clears throat> and you can see that there's, his personality and stuff, she 
she likes his personality, but but most people find him odd or strange or weird. So I would yeah. I would have loved to have known what it was um, about her that made her attracted to him in the way that she was um, that that she found him so appealing. I just feel like that's something that might be missing from here that makes her character from sometimes for me feel a little bit unrealistic. Um, I I don't know what it is. Like a perfect example would be um, in Boogie Nights with Julianne Moore's character and the way that she is with Mark Wahlberg, um, where where she has sex with him on camera and they they sometimes their relationship is very sexual, but but it's also a mother thing as well. But we know through what we see with Julianne Moore uh, with her child and and not being able to see her kid anymore and it was, and she had a son. Um, that she is like has this very strange relationship with with Wahlberg's character, and I understand it. Whereas I kind of feel like I'm missing what it is with Watson. So I just feel like if there was a little bit more given to us that made that make more sense, it would have it would have helped me. I just feel like there's something missing about her, um, and we're just supposed to um, let it slide. I, think I don't. She, do you guys feel the same way? No, I do. Because because it's. I mean, they're both damaged. I mean, this is called punch drunk love, so it's kind of like calling this uh, like CTE romance or fucking you know concussion cuddles or something like that, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like these people are are. I mean, it's it's very, you know, explicit. They're damaged people, right? Like Barry Egan, quite literally, probably a little brain damaged, right? Um, and Emily just seems to be damaged by, by life kind of, she just seems to be kind of, um, exasperated and run down by life. So I, I do find that there does seem to be that kind of that little missing piece that makes that, that coming together makes sense. But I feel like, like he's damaged and she's damaged and it's like, they come together in this, this place of mutual understanding where it's like, they, I think they have this this feeling that they each other are a safe space for which they can be vulnerable yeah yeah i I mean i I feel like all it would have needed was a little bit of dialogue between him and her where maybe she was married before and her husband like had like he was a very particular type of person but he like he he cheated on her and she had she had trust issues or something like that because she can trust barry do you know what i mean immediately she feels like she can yeah, yeah, she feels like she can immediately. But he is a person you can trust. Barry is not the type of guy who's going to screw you over. Because that way at the end when he left her at the hospital and he comes back um, and she's she is mad and she does say, you cannot do that to me. That's kind of where I saw that in her. That I, I just, if I would have just had this little piece, just any kind of little thing about her past with men could have could have cleared it up for me i feel like and i just feel like there's a little bit of a missed opportunity it could have been 30 seconds of dialogue they have a lot of conversations like he's asking her on the phone um do you have a boyfriend and she's like no and then he's just he like when was the last time married. you had a boyfriend and she's like he asked six if she had been ago. married and she says yes but they don't get into it she's like do you want to talk to me in person he's like yeah how long ago yeah that's what i mean to that when they when they talked in person if if he would have gotten a little more background on her I think it could have really helped out with um, why she does find him to be a safe haven. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, 
a lot because she so she like some insightful <clears throat> things she says are like it must have been hard for you to grow up with that many sisters and that like showed to me that she was understanding that no matter what the sisters are saying about him he's probably different and that he owns a business you know i'm sure was was somewhat a- appealing to show that he has some of his stuff together but like he doesn't exhibit things on the front end that scream i'm dateable and approachable so it really is about these two broken individuals. I mean, I only get the sense that she's broken because of like how much she is stalking him. Yes, and me I only too. I, I only yeah. just thought about this earlier, but he was being followed in the grocery store by a figure in red that we never got to see. I, I'm guessing that was her. I read I've read that it is actually her, but she's out of okay. focus, and they so they haven't met yet. But they, uh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, why is Santa following him? And I thought he was going to get accosted for shopping for the pudding or something, but that just never plays out. And then I forgot about it. Um, But that kind of does make total sense. And then, yeah, with her whole cart. So you get something is up with her that she's playing so hard, but like she seems kind of well put together and she's just so open for Barry. Like she's exactly what he needs, but I never get the sense exactly that he's exactly what she needs until... Um, until they're together and they're just what they need, I guess. So yeah, I'm. I'm the first I'm indication of that is probably when she, when he says, "I want to smash your face," and she says, "I yeah. want to eat your eyes out," and then you're like, "Oh, she's like that same type of crazy is in." There. Yeah, yeah. Because the when he starts talking about the sledgehammer, you don't get it's going to be sexual until like the third sentence in that ramble about her being so pretty. Because he's like, "I want to smash your face," and I'm like, "What?" I'm going to smash your face with a sledgehammer. I was like, oh, no, you can't say that. But then she's fucking totally all into it, um, which yeah. is great because you get you get the sense they are going to be good together. But it, it just she seemed a little too perfect for him with without that. Uh, just I think Colin's right. Like maybe one to two lines of dialogue. Even it could have yeah, been with Barry or it could have been, been so with simple. the sister. Like sh- the sister could have been like, I don't know why you want my brother. And she could have just said, like, I've just I've never had luck. And he seems like sweet. And that would have been enough. I, I would yeah, more I I want something like a little bit deeper like like this. It could have just been sweet. like I I, I was married sweet. and I loved my and and I, like I fell in love with my husband. It was like love at first sight, and then he died. Or and like I and I've never felt comfortable with anyone again until I met you. You know, something like that. Just like something very um, personal and deep. Like something happened to her that made her look at men differently. And she sees him for what he is, which is like a very kind, sweet, fragile, damaged person who needs love. And she wants to give him that love. And that makes her feel good to um, to be his love. Um, yeah. And I get that from the movie. Paul Thomas Anderson did a great job of establishing all of that. But a line or two of dialogue would have given me why. Like what happened to her? Yep. And yeah, uh, I, agree. I don't think it ruins the movie completely, but it's definitely very noticeable this time. Well, it did throw us because we were having that discussion about how they fit together. Right. So, yeah, um, that is something that's weird because he is so fractured um, and she is so put together. I mean, she travels for work. She obviously has to be able to put on a professional face, which she's very capable of doing because in every scene she's. I mean, calm and rational, right? Like even after the the accident, like you never see her get into these moments of like, you know, like you never see her hit a peak of emotion kind of, right? She seems to be very level. And that's not the same with Barry, actually. Barry's like a, a oh, fucking, no. a, a, he's a dynamite, right? He's just waiting to, to go off all yeah. the time. 
Which yeah. coincidentally is is how this movie got made. Is fucking Anderson saw Sandler on uh, Saturday Night Live doing this fucking rage bit, and he was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" <laughs> so he reached out to Sandler and said, "I want to write a role for you." Sandler says yes, not knowing who Anderson is, <laughs> and then and then he watches Magnolia and is like shits his pants. He's like, "I can't fucking carry a movie like this." <laughs> I, Which I he think, does okay. Um, I think he does. In great. this, I think he does great. Yeah, he he, he he's he d- draws that peculiar line of of like um, troubled individual versus potential mental illness. Um, which uh, which, as I watch more and more, it's interesting to play that game of how are they writing this character to be how they are, and if if it's going to be that they are you know suffering from the the consequences of their life then you really have to set up their life rather than just say oh it's a mental illness and that's why they're acting this way which is a different out but in this one you have to you have to um give that backstory and i think it does it so well uh, and so i give him i give him huge kudos for this like i wouldn't say that this is like an oscar worthy performance or anything but it's probably my favorite performance in sandler's career yeah i really? agree i think i think Obviously, the second one would be the uncut gems. Uh, both Have you guys of them, seen the one where he plays his sister? Uh, like, how is that not being mentioned? Jack and Jill. Yeah, you guys have no taste. Um, I, I actually think my favorite <laughs> performance of his is Uncut Gems. There's there's some great scenes in that movie. The the scene where he confronts Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, Rip, Love Hoffman. Yeah. Um, where they, he confronts him and stuff. I, I bet you that that I'd have to go look at the script and stuff, but I bet you there was a fight or a confrontation there as the climax to the movie. But I like the way that he made it play out in this where there wasn't a confrontation and Hoffman backs down. And then I, I love I that Hoffman tries to go after him and like look strong again. And he's like, I told you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. done. It's done. Oh, I, what I, is he enough said? Or uh, that's, the, that's, that's, that. That. that's that. That's that. That's that. That's that. That's that. I, I love like how, how they did Hoffman's character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like setting him up to be the, the main bad guy. And he seems menacing, but it's only like from a distance when he has henchmen under him. As soon as you get him one-on-one, he kind of crumbled, especially under the intense gaze of, of Sandler. So I think that just makes for a real interesting bad guy. I also feel like he He's heard flawed. what Sandler did to his minions. Yeah. Uh, that he beat up all of his minions by himself and stuff and wrecked their truck. So when he's there, he knows that, you know, he can he could be in real trouble because <laughs> this guy like beat up three dudes. So it's now so he's great. like face to face. Yeah, it's so great because when Sandler finds him in that mattress place and you see like like uh, Hoffman's in the back with that woman and then you can just see Sandler standing in the silhouette of that that open um, window yeah. doorway. Right. Holding the holding and, the phone. There's yeah. nothing said, and you can see Hoffman looks, and he's putting it together, and then he just goes, "Fuck you," and uh, <laughs> it's like it would it would be such a stretch to think that person is the person that you've been ripping off on the phone that he's like found you, but Hoffman just knows, right? I just yeah. really enjoy that part. Yeah, yeah, I do too, um, and I do I do like that he uh, leaves her at the hospital. And I like that. I, strangely enough, I even like that he's carrying that handset of the phone. Uh, it seems unrealistic, but I like how once he says that's that, then he gives the phone away 
because yeah. he was holding on to it till he was finished doing this thing. Yeah, that's um, when he was like hanging up. And right? now it's done. done that call. Yeah, it is. It's like he's hanging up in a weird way. Uh, it's yeah. so it's so interesting that he did that. Um, I I really like that scene. I like. Is there what what didn't you guys like about this? What did you guys think of the the music, which was very strange? The harmonium. Wasn't just the harmonium. It was like it was like tension. It was like yeah, yeah. I think it added it to, was the, to the overall. Yeah, I think yeah. it added to things because it everything for Sandler gets like when it gets smoother for him, the music goes along with it. When things are stressful and he's in, under all that anxiety, that it's it's different there to bring us along along with him. Um, yeah, so like yeah, I think it works, and, and he's. When his sister and his girlfriend visit is when it gets really ramped up. Yeah. They visit the warehouse. The, yeah. Yeah, I think it ma- I think it models his like his mood and his um his feelings at the time, which is I think a really great way to go. It it might not, you know, I'm sure you could have picked other music for the movie to make it go through, but the fact that this is so in tune with the main character uh and that he has like 90% of the screen time um was really impressive how they brought that together. The harmonium stuff when it's like the music's going and he's playing, but it matches the over the the uh, yeah, music yeah, being I played like over. I really like that. It was kind of fun. I think I think um, I. It's not that I don't like it because it's not effective. You're right. It, it it is effective. I think I don't. It's not. It's and once again, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I, it gives me anxiety. Yeah. And I also think this movie was ahead of its time because this was '92, I believe. No, 2002. 2002. Yeah. Sorry. And um, like now that we know so much more about how people do have anxiety, a lot of people have anxiety. They they mask it, they hide it, and they take things for it. And uh, so for me, it just this movie feels almost more relevant today, post COVID, after we've all you know really had to take a long look at ourselves and be alone and with ourselves and. And with having anxiety, being back out of the house again and stuff around, like I was just around a large crowd the other day, like a huge crowd. And I have not been in a long time and I was very anxious <laughs> going through that crowd. And so watching this movie, I, I really related to his character a lot more, I think, now than I ever have before. Hmm. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I- I mean, I feel like from all the discussions and, and um, exposure I've had to mental health over you know the last couple of years, because it really has come more front and center, and I think a lot of people do struggle, um, I was just appreciative of how it set up um, his background so that I understood. I, I, I can totally see how like having sisters um, being overbearing on you like that would start out as a small thing when you were young, and you'd just be raised, and he would have no choice but... It's like not even that his character was deficient. It's that it was stunted from the start and he wasn't nurtured in the way that he needed to be. In fact, he was lambasted. So he's probably struggled with most of his life through with that kind of anxiety. So that really rang true for me. And his outbursts, while not a healthy way to deal with it, were just a necessary offshoot until he can get his shit together. And I also further appreciated that uh, Lena was never mad with him no matter what happened with the bathroom beating up and and all the other weirdness that he displayed she was only angry at him when he mistreated her directly she didn't care about his past or anything that he had done that didn't directly influence her which i thought was a really mature way for her to approach it as well every time he gets close with her and he makes a confession um 
she has an opportunity to leave and instead she embraces him and accepts him yeah you can see like those little bits of healing coming through there yeah i mean it's not too dissimilar to uh john c Riley and magnolia and and um what's her name who played the daughter oh, cynthia yeah. Um, yeah. where they just sit down and, you will be honest with each other they, they don't have that kind of um existential type uh, or, or, or open discussion they get right into this the sharing he can't help himself because he like he falls in love with her very quickly in this um rightfully so i mean because he wouldn't have had any other attention and it just so happens to be the perfect woman for him uh who's going to be all the right kinds of nurturing and listening and also you know giving him an opportunity to to speak his mind and take a compliment maybe she'll work up to that point Hopefully they won't make it to the face smashing and sledgehammers and eye chewing, but you know what? That's okay too. I mean, if they're into it, then then do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, th- did you guys know that Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, lackeys, the brothers, are actual brothers? I did. Yeah, I didn't. They all look the same though, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they all looked really good. I, man, I just love like they they are getting the better of him all movie, and he's trying not to be violent, and he like. The way he gives in um, uh, is really adds up to when he kicks the shit out of them after they're in the accident. I really love when he just smashes their faces in. Um, but that leads me to something else that's like the, the subtleties that I'm sure were given in direction from PT is um, when when Adam Sandler's calling the phone sex line and they're asking him for all that info uh, and he knows it's not right. He keeps asking if it's confidential. And even when he starts to give it um, for his for his contact details and for his social security number, he does this great little pause as he's giving it as he's like, you can tell the alarm after you see it, you can tell the alarm bells have gone off in his head. Like, don't do this. Don't do this. But he's just so lonely that he goes through with it. And then bad things happen. Bad things do happen. Yeah. So I appreciated how they kind of did that as well. And this was around the time of like uh, identity theft and stuff. So that's that was and still is a very relevant uh, under theme. And you can see how people can be duped and conned into that kind of stuff duped and conned you like that yeah i do, a con I, do. And I like uh i like buying three thousand dollars worth of pudding um so that you can fly <laughs> eternally more that's another just interesting side bit in this um and you kind of get what he's doing apparently that's a true story um someone someone bought like a couple of thousand cases of pudding to get the air miles and got like the million air miles so that's all based on a article that pt anderson read um and and put it into the movie and when you think about where does that have a place in this movie it really is like around giving adam sandler the freedom to to be supportive to her uh at the end of the movie i don't know what he's going to do with his business now because you know what his business seemed like it was all right i can tell you if you're starting a business if you like have your own place like warehouse and you're filling it with product and making sales then you're doing better than 90 percent of the people out there trying to run businesses um that it's funny they never get we never get a glimpse into that part of Sandler's background um, and like there's no specific type of person that becomes an entrepreneur but very interesting they went with that he owned that uh, business rather than just worked for it. Um, it he doesn't seem like he's that put together. No, he doesn't. Um, yeah, it, that's really interesting. And like he had never worn a suit before this movie. So like we're seeing him for the first time and this is like the first time he's worn a suit. That's made very clear to us, but I don't he understand the significance of that. only wears that suit too. That's, that's his uniform. He, that's what he wears yeah. all of the time in this movie. That, that very blue suit. 
Yeah. Um, which I think is funny that it's blue as well. I, I don't know if that's because of his emotion, his sadness. And I think it's that's obviously why he picked blue. Her name backwards means indigo and his like his suit is like indigo. There's supposed oh, to yeah. be some kind of a tie between that. Yeah, but it's interesting that that there's a lot of stuff open to interpretation. Um, the the tiny piano or what, what do you call it, John Harpsichord? Harmonium. Yeah. Harmonium. Uh, the harmonium, I, I think, really represents him. It's uh, it's beat up and uh, it's uh, <laughs> broken. It's un, it's unwanted. It was just left on the street. No one wants it. And uh, un, there's a great it's shot. Unconventional. It is very yeah, unconventional. unconventional too. Yeah, so hard it, to identify. Yeah, that's yeah. great that he that he um, it's a it's good writing. It's very very good writing. It's it's um once again it's show not tell. Um, yeah, and uh, his, he puts his in a relationship with this device is uh, very interesting. It is, yeah, because he like the the harmonium is there, and when someone else cares about it and put, gives it a little attention and find out what's wrong, then they can fix it. And then even when it's fixed, it can have issues and might need a little hand holding to get going. But he does it all, and it, it's a very nice parallel for his character. It's um, beautiful whether, too. The whether the, you realize the, it or not, the music that it makes is subtly beautiful and uh, nice. Um, what thing the. Th- that I love about Paul Thomas Anderson is that he seems to be able to well because like he always apparently had had wanted harmonium in this movie right he always was going to have that music featured in the movie Hmm. and like you know with Sandler like he was like he was like Sandler I want to put him in the movie and I want to do this thing right with the harmonium and then if you look back at Magnolia like he he says that he wrote that movie around that one line right where it's like you know, now that you've met me, would you be opposed to never seeing me again? Um, Anderson seems to have this exquisite way of taking a feeling, right? Like a conceptual feeling like that, and then building a story around it, right? Like not a lot of people are fucking building stories based off of a, a harmonium and uh, yeah. and, a, and a fit of rage that they saw somebody do, right? But yeah, and a letter he, of like, puddings. This thing in, yeah, and it's got this like subplot of the puddings, and then it's like this love story with these two weird, like, you know, borderline personality type people. Well, he is, anyways. But yeah, I, I fucking, I, I just find that so impressive that PTA Anderson can, um, can grab a concept and then like effectively communicate that feeling through the movie. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of like? His previous movies had elements of strangeness to them, um, like a lot of the off-camera stuff in Boogie Nights or uh, the coincidences we talked about in Magnolia. This movie starts off that way by like the car accident, and as the car accident is like still happening, the van pulls up and puts the harmonium right in front of him, um, and then drives off. And then the accident and the harmonium like source are like just never spoken of or or, or talked about again, really. She actually says, did you steal the harmonium from the street? And I didn't understand that comment because someone just put it right there. It wasn't even like at a garbage dump. So I don't know. There's like something strange about that beginning of the movie, which I don't hate and doesn't spoil anything because it's so quick. But it's weird. And I'm not sure if it like ties in a theme or it's just meant to represent the like strangest of what's makes what what makes thing comes together. Because for him, he would see that accident. And he'd meet her within a day and the harmonium would dropped off and he bought the new suit. 
Um, and all the, and then the pudding, like all this happens to him within like a one to two day period. And these are life, life changing events. And, and I'm not sure I could piece together the, the commonalities or the source or whatever on the front end. It's, I guess it's just random things that are set in motion that cause him to be different by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. She likes though, the, she uses the word steal because she likes the idea that he did steal it. Oh, um, maybe, yeah. That's I think that's why she uses that word. Um, uh, like she likes, in a, a strange way, she she likes that he's a bit unhinged and that he could explode at any moment. I think the that the danger of that for her is kind of appealing. Um, that she's with this powder keg almost, um, because because he shares with her that he be beat up the bathroom and it doesn't seem to phase her whatsoever. Um, and then he, she knew the story about him throwing a hammer through the window or the uh, patio door, but yet she still was interested in him. That's what I mean is that you just need that one little fucking thing. That yeah. one fucking thing that like explains... And then once again, as long as it's is it's broad and general enough, we will come to our own assumptions of why that makes her interested in him. But just give it to us, and and we would if we would it would have been it would have tied up that bow. Yeah, I think it would have. It definitely would have knocked the movie up like a point notch. Yeah, um, again, yeah. Again, well, I'm not saying it, it spoils the movie. It just no. would have made it that much better. Yeah, um, but I then. Think so. I, it's like one of those things you're always we're always saying show don't tell and um, like are, are some of the details necessary. But I think in this case, that is something I definitely would have liked just so I understood her a little bit more. Uh, and it and it didn't seem like, you know, oh, it's about this guy and he just finds the perfect girl who's just out there and she's perfect for him. Um, I want to know, like I can tell she's broken, too. So that it's not like there's any question about that, that she is basically stalking him shows her strangeness but i just it's in the it why because even even, even like, sandler's even sandler's work staff find him fucking crazy even Luis guzman like knows there's something wrong with this guy and like keeps him at an arm's length even though he wants to support him and he's a very nice man as well like constantly supporting barry to make this business work so i'm not saying he's a bad guy but you see him looking at barry sometimes like about the pudding and all this other shit and yeah, he's yeah. louis wearing a suit later on too which i fucking love it, it could have been super silly too. the the thing that that happened like maybe her boyfriend was like a evil Knievel stuntman who like died doing his stunt or whatever <laughs> like it could have been something so random as that like jumping buses and he he got killed like because that guy lived on the edge and he was a bit crazy and and adam sandler's character has that inside of him and he holds it in until it explodes you know just something just give yeah. me something, baby. Yeah. Um, and what did you guys think about uh, the ending then? Uh, what did you think of the, the kaleidoscope, almost weird colors? The transitions they, at the various acts or whatever? Yeah, and that they have the music with those weird transitions type things. I, I think it was an artistic choice. I think it was interesting. Better than a fade-out title screen. I mean, they did have the title. It was something nice to look at, and it let me know the m movie was advancing to a new... I don't even think it was around acts. Um, no, I think it I was as, know. like, the story was transitioning. Um, but it didn't seem like around a conventional three-act structure or anything like that. So 
but I don't, I didn't mind them. They didn't really take me out of it or anything like that. It was just kind of an artistic choice. I think like kaleidoscopes don't come in anywhere. So I don't understand the significance of that. Maybe, maybe the colors were, maybe they were more red by the end and more blue to start. I didn't really uh, pick up on that or pay attention to it too strongly. Did you notice that Brent? I mean, I noticed the 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 color fades, but I I didn't really um, I hadn't really thought of the significance of it. Really, yeah. I, I just kind of I don't know. I just kind of liked it. It was like it was just like a like a nice little breeze over that, right? And then we're yeah. moving yeah, on. It was. Yeah, and as for the ending, um, I I thought it was earned, and I'm happy they're gonna they're gonna get together and. They had a like their first serious moment together, and um, she let him know she wasn't happy. He apologized, and he had a reason for going to do what he did. Uh, and he, he, he even kinda, told he, her he, confesses. He, he, he tells he her he confess. confesses, and she's not mad at he him said, for that for any of the previous stuff. She's like, "I'm mad that you left me at the hospital," and he's like, "That's just not going to happen again." Yeah, she says you can't um, do that. Yeah, yeah, as and opposed guy, to like understands. this ending ending badly because you know if there if if pt was like this can't end happily or anything like that um it would have been not uh, completely unsatisfying for the movie so they had to they had to end up together one of my favorite moments too that shows um that she's going to be good for barry is that she works with barry's sister um with, with us what do you guys call her gail the snail yep yeah so she works with her and um, when she calls her in Hawaii, first of all, she lies to her, his sister about seeing him. Yep. Which I think Barry really would appreciate because he doesn't want his sisters having any more he information. Asks, doesn't he? He asks her not to. I'm not. I don't remember if he asked her. I just. I just know. I think that he does on he, the payphone. He doesn't want. Uh, he he screams. He screams at his sister on the payphone and sticks oh, up. That's for hilarious too. That's the first time he does that. And his sister gives in. But um. But when she lies, I think he doesn't want his sisters knowing what's going on in his life. He doesn't want to give them any ammunition or doesn't want them to have more gossip. So I know that he appreciates that. But there's also a great moment where where his sister tries to like um you know do the silver lining or whatever and be like yeah you know you probably wouldn't have wanted to go out with him anyways because he's like kind of weird and stuff and so maybe i shouldn't have even tried to hook you up and then she says yeah yeah he he's did seem a little or weird something. or something and then she goes you can't don't say that don't <laughs> it's my <laughs> so brother you starts, can't, yeah yeah so she starts defending barry i love that moment because it just shows what a horrible person his sister is She's just, just that she doesn't realize she person. doesn't realize how much she's hurting barry so that no, just shows me that the, when they treat him like that, it's not malicious. They're not trying to be mean. It's just they, they don't know any better, and he's taken it, and this is just the way it's ended up. It's just Which all makes about it a more complicated, her. It's a more complicated family dynamic, and, and I get that. But Gail the Snail is making it all about her. Yep. Like when, when she says that stuff about Barry and then she, she agrees, then all of a sudden she's offended that this person said something about her brother. So once again, it's all about her. It's not really about Barry. She's just like trying to be a good big sister or whatever, but she's a terrible mm. big sister. Oh, yeah, I don't even worse. know if she's older than him or younger, but whatever. She's not a good person. And the doctor husband who um, betrays oh, Barry's trust 
is such a piece of garbage for betraying his trust to his sister. That's like, I would dick. never. We were, we were screaming at the screen at the time, like, fucking hug him. Hug him when Barry breaks totally. down in front of him. And he just stands there awkwardly and then, like, walks away. It's like, come on. Come like on. Like, if one of your guys, if one of your, if, if your guy's girlfriends, one of them's family member came to you in private and, and asked you guys for help in another room away from your, your girlfriend and whispered to you about getting help, would you go and tell your girlfriend that they did that? No. Because clearly they don't no, want your girlfriend to know. Yeah, no, no. Their sister to know. Would you? Would you, like, keep that a secret? Totally. Jesus, it's obvious, man. That guy <laughs> yeah. witnesses the abuse that he goes through. Like, they can't all be um, ignorant to what that is, right? So when yeah. Barry comes to you like that and he's like, look, I don't like myself very much and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is a guy that you're watching just be abused, essentially, from childhood right through to his adult life. Yeah. And then he's coming to you with a moment of vulnerability saying, like, look, like, I'm legitimately, you know, in a bad place and I... I just you're the only person I can even think to to help me talk to yeah and then that guy betrays him like that to me is one of the biggest betrayals in the movie right it is. I do too and I think what I would do in that situation is um a I I would try and get him someone to talk to I would I would do my best to to get him a number or something and b I would probably give my girlfriend a bunch of shit about the way she treats her brother I wouldn't bring up the conversation we had but I'd be like, you know what? I don't. I think you you guys kind of treat your brother like shit. Yeah. I, I would have a I would have a hard conversation with her and say, you guys need to like leave him alone and relax around him. Let him like be himself. Like stop picking on him. Like I and you know I think I would I'd be mad at my girlfriend for the way she treated my her, her brother. Because they 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 never let up. They're relentless. Well, and he never gets it. He never gets gives it back. So you see that it's like so one-sided, um, yeah. So extremely one-sided, right? Yeah. Well, he busts bullying. the windows and like does the hammer thing, and all he gets is like they can't figure out why he would do that because they don't see what they're doing is wrong, and that's what infuriates him even more, especially when they're making him all about being for no reason crazy. Remember when totally, you did that absolutely. crazy? Absolutely, it's just, just so frustrating. Them. So, yeah. Um, that's crazy. Well, I think then there's one question that remains. Does it hold up? Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, Colin, this is your favorite movie, I think, out of the three of us. I would like to. I would like to. You go. I, yep. I would say this is this is actually definitely holds up. I would also say it's one of my favorite um, romantic comedies. Um, probably like there's just. This one like is stands out as a very special little movie. Um, like some of my favorites would be um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind is better than this. But but I would put it in that kind of category of um, something stepping out of the norm of romantic comedies. Um, I laugh. Um, I, I want his characters to succeed. He he he. He sets his character up to make me. Adam Sandler does a great job of making me sympathize for him and and want him to um, overcome his problems and his issues. And when he does, I'm happy for him. So yeah, I think it does hold up. I, I think the, the problems I have with this movie, some of them may be like artistic choices, 
but I don't think any of them were bad enough that they ruined the movie or impacted it in a negative way. I may disagree with them or I would, I would have done something differently. But in this case, I don't think it hurts the movie. And I, I think his vision is a good, his vision that he had for this movie is a good one. So I do think it holds up. Yeah. Nice. All right, mm. Mr. I've only seen it recently for the first time and watching it a second time now. What do you think? Twice. Yeah. That's you, Brent, if you didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. I was hoping you'd go. I, you want um, me? I can if you want a few more moments to ponder. Yeah, I mean, I just like looking at this movie. Um, it, it never stood out to me after the first time I watched it either. as Because like, it, it seemed to be sold to me as a masterpiece, and it never felt that way. I don't think um, it's that at all. It's charming. Yeah, that's a good it's, word for it. It's... um. It's it's enjoyable, it's cute, but there is something um, so off about it that I I find myself in a in a tough place to call it. Mm. Um, what well, like you I never talked about put that? My finger on it. You never discussed that during the the rest of our conversation though. What is the thing that that you feel about it? Like you. Like what part That's about the thing it is, is I, I don't know if, it, the, if I can put my finger on the it. Tone? it, it might be, but it might be the intentional tone. Like the intentional tone is uncomfortable and like the, the, the shots and the sets and like everywhere that were, that were taking place, not everywhere, but a lot of this stuff is really uncomfortable. It does so start slowly too, doesn't through, it? Right. What's that story? It does start slowly. Like everything, it it, even though this is a short slowly. movie, it, it like. I don't know if I'd use the word drags, but it seemed very slow at the start to get going. The pa- the pacing is very slow. It is a very slow movie um, till it gets well, to about the midway point. It's slow and it wanders, right? Like if you mm. look, um, like this is this is a. I mean, like you said, this is this is kind of an incomplete love story, right? It doesn't really make sense. It's not really sold to us. We're just expected to uh, to. Um, except that it's like kismet or whatever, right? That the spark is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see no indication of why that happens, especially like she drops off her car that time in front, right? Like does, I don't know, it seems. She said she did that though intentionally so she could meet him. She, she. I know, she, but again, there's no indication as to why she would do that. I know, it drives me nuts. Damn it, it's the biggest, hugest flaw. It's a huge but, gaping hole. So this is the thing is that this love story is never communicated. The movie is about the love story and the love story is never sold to us effectively. Now you have a bunch of interesting parts that surround that. And then like you have these weird like little subplots like the fucking um, pudding uh, air miles and the sex phone and all that stuff. Sex phone and all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? So it's just kind of like it's like these three different things going on at the same time with this incomplete love story i don't know man i hate it because a, a bunch of people i respect um call this one of their favorite movies and and say that it's great and i think that there's a ton of both this movie that is great um and i i i ah, fuck i don't john can you i would by no something? means though <laughs> wait i would by no means though call this a masterpiece if i ever call this a masterpiece i that i was mistaken uh, i think boogie nights is a masterpiece i just think that this is a quirky little um, interesting film in his filmography um, that is kind of unique and different and 
and it makes me feel good at the end of it. But by no means is it a masterpiece in any way uh, no, whatsoever. Not. No, it is like, to... go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Should I, Brent, or do you want to finish? No, go, man. I'm I'm going to fucking stew in my... I think, yeah, stew in your juices. I think like this movie kind of felt like when I was watching it, it felt like a director, it sh- what it should have been a director's first movie like Donnie Darko or yeah. something like that, yeah, yeah. where yeah, it just, it yeah. was like finding their way and they tried some things that worked and it had some quirky charm and it wasn't perfect, but the actors all did solid and they had some, you know, some, some weird scenes and some weird music and tried some things and it, and it kind of works at the end. Um, I'm left wanting definitely a bit more with what I think the core of the movie is. Um, and I think, I think it was Brent that said it earlier. Like if this is punch drunk love, then they both need to be kind of like, coming from that scrappy place and we only get his we only get his scrappiness explained so it, and the movie's more about him than her so i i guess that's just the choice that they had to make to make the cut the the runtime i don't think it would have been that much more to give us some substantiation on why she is the way she is though um but at the end of the day i'm going to say the movie holds up because it's 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 a fine movie um i don't think it's his best uh, I think it was made for 25. It made 25 back. Maybe it's made another 25 or 30 in, in DVD sales at the fine. It's a fine romantic comedy. It's an absolutely fine romantic comedy. It has enough quirk and different things about it from your typical guy meets girl thing. Um, I just wish it was a bit more fleshed out. So, uh, yeah. So not not supreme masterpiece for sure, um, but but a fine a fine flick. I just feel like I said fine flick a lot. You did, yeah. It is. It's a very small little movie. It's um, I mean, based on all of his other movies before and after this in scope, it is it is tiny. I mean, there will be blood and the master, and uh, you know everything that came after this. He went big again. Yeah, it's this true. Is definitely him, kind of just dipping his toe in this weird film, like. Yeah, this weird way he, of doing it. Comedy, that was a complete he, shift. These movies have so much comedy in them, even the bigger ones, that he he definitely does like comedy. Oh, he's definitely got a good comedic mind. I think so, yeah. John, remind me, did you say hold up? Yeah. <laughs> yep. But it's <laughs> not but it's not film. it's not amazing. It's it a, fine a fine film. film yeah. Like five times. He's like, it's a fine yeah. film. <laughs> I know, but this is the thing, is that like Fine films. I feel like this movie, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, I can't say that because you guys said Magnolia doesn't hold up. Jesus, it's weird to me that you guys would think this does and Magnolia doesn't. Because I feel like he's not going is, for. But he's not going what, for anything clearly here. What? Except what for tone. The one thing that what does the only carry thing about across, this movie that's effective, right? The, the one thing that carries across in this movie is Adam Sandler not starts starts as a damaged character, and by the end, you can see he's on the road to redemption, and it's because of this girl. And I cheer for him the whole way, and he has his heroic moment, and I love when he stands up to Hoffman, and he, then he gets back, and he, he just wants to be with the woman. Like That's the reason that it, that it holds up for me, because that, that flow throughout, even though all the crazy stuff around him is happening, that's more important to me than the love story the love is part of and his I would redemption change, but and, and I, I would change redemption to recovery sure he's on the road to recovery he's a very damaged person and at the end of this movie he is by no means fixed even by the, when he talks to her about what he did just did and uh and then she forgives him 
he's not recovered, but he's he's good. He's recovering. He's he's taking a step um, to recovery. Yeah. Uh, and and he ha- and he was stuck in a place at the beginning of the movie that he's no longer in any longer. And that makes me happy that he's out of that place. I I like that. And if this movie was an hour longer, Brent, it wouldn't hold up. <laughs> so that's that why is, I know it is, doesn't hold up. That Magnolia is without a doubt. was an hour shorter, it would have. And uh, Magnolia is amazing. An amazing feat that was ruined by a guy who couldn't get out of his own way. Whereas, oh, man. No, let's I would have cut five. That. Let's not get into yeah. that. I, I, I would have totally cut five minutes. I would have cut five minutes from this movie. There's a couple of little things. I think it, the beginning does move too slow. I think you could have cut five minutes right out of the top of this movie. Maybe but yeah. the beginning. I feel like like the beginning. I don't even mind that slowness because I feel like there's an intentionality behind it. Right. Like mm-hmm. like the intention there is to is to like settle that tone right like that's that's world building as much as anything as far that's as that's like fair the, right? I, I do think um, there's a couple of minutes in here to cut though i feel like it, it, it as short as it is you could have gotten away with a little bit of cutting oh i'm sure there's just about any movie you could you could figure a cut into except for Fuck, boogie nights not boogie nights though <laughs> well h- here's another thing brent for you for you to that consider is that Colin and I've seen this movie like a couple of times over the years and I've always thought it was it was it was you know good I'll say good not perfectly fine not amazing uh, but you having seen it for the first time more recently didn't have the impact on the first time so if you're not getting that on the second time I think that kind of settles where you're where you're kind of feeling about it and that would be totally legit because I, yeah, I can I see guess, how this movie could I go either I way say, I guess I gotta say then um, with John's uh, encouragement that I, I don't think this does hold up, which is weird because my thing is usually like, like if I like a movie, then I got to say it holds up kind of right. Like if I enjoyed myself and I did enjoy myself, but I also found myself throughout the movie sitting there and thinking like, like, what are we doing? Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. what, what is the purpose of this? And then what is the, like, where's the thread that ties this all together? And there is a thread that ties it together, but sometimes it just, it doesn't feel commensurate right it does to, to what it should be so i i gotta say unfortunately because like i say it's it's not just you guys it's i've read about a ton of um people that i respect in the industry that just label this as one of their favorite movies and it has a ton about it that i'm fucking in love with uh and i am a sandler fan but he's I, so I, good I in this fucking yeah, steer away from this. this i don't even think he's excellent in this i think he's got a ton of sandler in it He's got a, it's a, it's a, it's a, he does a bunch of that stuff. It's like, if you look at Uncut Gems, even if you look at Big Daddy, I think that he has more chops in that than he does in this. Uncut Gems has is oh, a better performance than this for sure. I would definitely, but I think this is a great performance from him because of the vulnerability in this. Um, he's so vulnerable in this and he allows himself to be vulnerable and he, he allows himself to be quiet in those moments where you know he'd want to fill the silence with humor but he yeah, allows himself I, to go there i i do think that's all pt probably i think it Anderson is it probably. is pt but but he did it though and and uh oh. pt led him you, good oh, directors oh, get oh. good performances out of, of out of actors i'm gonna get tippy tippy tap tap sledgehammer your face <laughs> <laughs> yeah see he didn't do that he didn't do that that is a great scene actually for his performance 
because he is he he is so it's so weird when he when he does stuff in this movie because it's so um matter of fact is the performance that he gives <laughs> and it's softer and uh even when he's telling that guy that he doesn't like himself it's very matter of fact he's just like I wanted to talk to you because um, I'm finding that sometimes I don't like myself, and I was wondering if you could help me. Like it's Can you not. Help me? <laughs> he also cries in that scene. He goes, yeah. "Sometimes I just start crying for no reason," and then he starts to cry. That is super funny. Yeah, it, it's it's really good, and uh, I just I think he did a good job. Once again, I think credit more so does go to the directing and the writing, but um. I think I think that this a good job. I, I think that this result is so interesting because Brent's often uh, asked Colin and I how we can say a movie does or doesn't hold up based on you know that we liked so much of it, and here he is doing it himself for maybe the first time that I can recall, and it's weird, isn't it? Because you're like something just isn't right, and I don't know it how, has to, a gaping how to say hole. it. It has a gaping hole in it, but what like because of the her character doesn't have doesn't have the answer to that question but i do think that her performance her character leads me to believe that she she something did happen to her that makes her the way that she is i wish yep. that they would have given me a little bit more information but her performance and the writing and the directing and everything i get i get her character i just want to know why and to me that's emily missing. watson has timid broken face though like that's like <laughs> her whole look right yeah, like look at her in true. red dragon yeah. perfect right she sells um, it but i want to know why and without knowing why yeah. it comes off as slightly that's, unbelievable or unrealistic yeah i never question that she is broken but i do no wonder not at all the why no. and i just i'm curious and i want to know and i think it's something we needed because otherwise yeah, we'll, we'll have a tough time justifying that she's like because she's the forward aggressor she takes all the steps and um mm -hmm. i think as guys that's not been our experience ever so we need something to show us how a woman can be that way that's kind of where my mind goes anyway yeah. i think so too other than just desperation which again right. we need to see some reasoning behind so because she comes back he doesn't ask her out and she comes back and asks him out and uh once again her performance is good enough that you believe her, but you still don't know why. True. So Probably is that, big, that big your dick. biggest concern with this? <laughs> that, is that why it doesn't hold up, Brent? What's that? Because of that, that uh, motive not being clearly yeah. established? Yeah. I mean, that's a part of it, but I do feel like I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said it's, it, there's an emptiness. Like there is. This movie is, uh, is the bagel, right? It's, it's, uh, it's got stuff all around. Um, but in the middle, there there seems to be something lacking there, and and maybe by design. Um, but that is where I'm finding, I guess, my struggle. And and that's totally. And I want to say that this holds up, but I, I there is that that hole, and I that can't fucking uh, remedy probably, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that so, makes total I mean, sense. It's hard to reconcile. It. It's it was to hard to it. reconcile. <laughs> Did you say you hate it? <laughs> no, I hate to say that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it's been said. So here we are, torn again on another PT movie. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to have to see where the next one goes with There Will Be Blood. Next week, our coming fourth episode. And The Master, let's get your thoughts on There Will Be Blood. Is that going to hold up or not? Mm. Oh, I think it's going to hold up. I drink your milkshake. milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up. I can't wait. 
I know we're gonna show have some me the great blood. quotes. Give me the blood, Eli. Give I'm me the con- blood. I'm concerned. The blood. I'm concerned. I think blood. I think the Daniel Day Lewis performance is gonna be monumental, but I'm worried about the runtime and deliberate nature of the story. So I I think I know th- the I think runtime? it will hold up. Oh. I think it's two and a half anyway. Two and a half. I think it is. I don't know for sure, though. I'm looking right now just to see, but it is longer. It's 2.38. Okay. So it's Boogie Nights length. Boogie Nights-esque with less porn. It's that length. 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Yeah, like it's, it's Why hard. Why they touted it as a masterpiece? See, uh, Day- Day Lewis's, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance is a masterpiece. There's no question, and I'm just hoping that... Um, that's not the only thing that flashes through and that's what people think of in this movie. It's got to come together as a whole uh, and have that satisfying end and we'll see. Yeah, I think the relationship between him and his son, I mean, is is I'm, I'm really hoping that, that that stays with that work still because I think there is, I mean, that's really the interesting part of the movie is that he has that he does he he adopts that son well i won't well, talk about it next week yeah yeah we'll figure we'll give me the movie we'll Anderson. Talk about it. give me the movie give me the movie <laughs> give me give the me blood the movie, eli. eli give me the blood oh my god it's so quotable what? okay well we'll get that into you next week this week uh punch drunk love sounds like it's worth a checkout and then just be ready for which way it grabs you on that day because grab some of us the right way grab some of us the wrong way we all noticed flaws things we liked um in 90 minutes right it's it's you got to check it out just check it out if you, especially if you've not seen any of sandler's newer stuff and you're sick of uh, jack and jill happy gilmore and uh billy madison so that's what you got for you today but next week there will be blood we'll bring it on full force um no punches pulled Thanks for checking out this episode, everybody. It's been a pleasure to have you as always. And um, even more as always, we'll see you next time and enjoy your shit. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Our handle is holdup underscore podcast. You can fire us a comment or two, add a movie to our wish list, and we always post a hint about our next episode in the middle of the week. Feel free to drop us an email directly if you've got some feedback for us. Our email is podcast.holdup at gmail.com. Our podcast can be found where most podcasts are these days. Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and Player FM.